Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcatchers, and Odyssey as well. Uh, as always, credit to Justin Campbell or at JCamp1521. He's a lot of work for podcasters, so intros, editing, stuff like that. So if you need someone like that, he's your guy. Uh, today, my guest is Sal the Agris. Uh, we're continuing uh, our live reading series of uh, New Libertarian Manifesto. This will be part five probably knock it out probably the the main book today oh, almost certainly well i'm not even not even maybe it's not that much left and then uh probably next episode we're, we're probably gonna start on the critiques uh i'll probably figure out a way to title them so they look differently uh, since we'll basically be done with the book of this part but then we'll be just going into other major thinkers of the time who had their own given critiques on it and kind of what they had to say um just so you guys know i remind you guys this every single time uh, the template of the show is how this usually works. If you're watching it right now, today's the 24th. If you're watching at 9.20-ish p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, uh, you're watching the live stream version. Uh, if not, this will be released roughly about a week later. If you want to have access to it in the meantime, uh, in, you know, to be able to you know, like catch it between, between the, the, the public live stream and when I, when I release it publicly as a numbered episode, you, you'll have to be a patron at patreon.com. Just no way Jose 2020. Uh, the lowest level is two bucks. The highest level is 20. There's differing uh, you know, benefits at each level. The highest level being the 20 is the sponsor level. And that's I read them off every episode. My sponsors are CD McRae of the Whiskey and Tea podcast. I have Jacob Winograd of the Daniel 3 podcast. Covers a lot, a lot of biblical anarchy type stuff. Uh, Brandon Smith, um, his Twitter is at underscore 2D system. He's on YouTube and Rumble and Spotify and, and other streaming platforms as 2D system. He does a lot of music type stuff. Uh, like I said, patreon.com, Snowy Jose 2020. Uh, just a reminder, we're doing the live reading series of New Libertarian Manifesto right now. I've already completely knocked out a, uh, uh, an Agoras primer. I remind you guys, it's just about every episode with uh, Caleb Brown. That was another one of Conkin's work. Uh, the notable thing about that live ring series is uh, Caleb's a paleo, so it was kind of interesting seeing Agris and a paleo talk about agorism. Uh, I also just knocked out, I did I did two episodes, both titled Debate Prep, two separate episodes uh, with Kinsella, uh, Stefan Kinsella and David Friedman. And uh, we were kind of talking about deontology, talking about uh, consequentialism, just basically like roughly just ethical theories is what they're called. Um, and just kind of seeing where they're coming from. Cause we, I was kind of trying to set up a debate between the two of them and we're still going to see if I can, uh, it's very nuanced when you're talking about people's, uh, their, you know, how they go about, you know, living their life. They construct their theories. It gets very meta and very nuanced and very weird. So, uh, I, I found it, uh, constructive to talk to both of them about the positions that way. Maybe we can set up some sort of debate or discussion or something along those lines, because uh, there was uh, some people who wanted to see a consequentialism versus deontology debate. And even then, that's hard to do because neither one of them are technically either one of those. But they're like something close or different. So it's, it's trying to find the spot where they can have a disagreement. And uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll get, I'll get back to you guys on that if we end up having a debate, discussion, whatever. Um, and yeah, as always, I have the Tower Gang Show. We just recorded a fun one yesterday with Chase Geyser. Um, guys, always go check out Top Lobster, toplobster.com. Use Jose at checkout for 10% off. Uh, with that, let's get Sal in here. Hey, what's up, man? What's up, brother? How are you? Doing all right, doing all right. Uh, yeah, you should totally check out those. Uh, can, the, the, the thing, the only public one right now is the Kinsella one. I'd like to hear your feedback. And the Friedman, Friedman one will come out in a couple days, but uh, I, yeah, I saw a little bit of, of yeah. I, I saw a little bit of that with you and Kinsella. It was good, it was good. Yeah. Um, 
he's he's a really interesting dude. He's got so many controversial opinions. Like no matter where you are in the <laughs> yeah. libertarian movement, you have problems with some of the things that he says. But... Yeah, and he's very uh, vocal about <clears throat> it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, absolutely. Which what I don't get upset about. A lot of people get upset about his takes. Like I don't know if you have a bad take. Like yeah, maybe I'll make fun of you, but most of the time like. Especially somebody like a Kinsella, it's like, why? What's the point? What, what, what do I want to do? Go to, <laughs> yeah. Do I want to go on a giant thread arguing about something? You're not going to convince that guy. <laughs> He's made up his mind by now. Yeah, and I, I don't. And usually, even when he does have a take, I disagree with. It's coming from a place of like, you know, he's ready to argue it. So you're like, okay. <laughs> he, he is, as he says, a heavyweight. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, so anything new with you? It's been about a week or two since we've done one of these. Uh, anything going new going on with you in your life? Um, no, not really. Um, I was. I remember what I was going to tell you before we went on, which was I don't know if you're sharing this on Facebook or something like that. But if I could, I didn't see a link. If I did, I would have shared it to my page. But that's all right. That that that's the what I was trying to remember before though. Oh, you were trying to what were you trying to say? Your intro. What were you trying to say? You 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 cut out for a small second. You were just one. No, like like during the before we went on, we were, I was oh. remember I, I like I couldn't remember what I was gonna say, and I was oh. I was gonna ask you if you shared it on Facebook. Oh so yeah, post it to my page, but I didn't see anything. So no, no big I was deal. just being lazy. I just dropped it on a, on on Twitter real quick. Um, gotcha. I mean, not a big deal. Um, these do these these type episodes don't do so great in the live stream aspect, but then they usually do decent later, and the like people will catch them later, which makes sense. This the the the, the structure of these type of uh things it would, would make sense. It's not really a, a hot item for a live stream, but uh you know usually gets a little bit more numbers later. Um, yeah. Uh, did you, I guess what were you would say. Well, I'm saying we can find something controversial to talk about afterwards to drive up the live stream numbers because it's, it's, it's a short right? chapter. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's Junkie Jeff says people still use Facebook. Yeah, that's that's my problem. I barely use Facebook anymore. So true. Yeah. Um, well, follow my new page, guys. Um, I'm over on. You guys I, made note. I've got like fifteen thousand followers on my one meme page. That not, people on Twitter and Facebook they don't like commingle. So like, go to um, print guns not money on Facebook and follow my page there. If you're following me on Twitter, follow me there. It's more geared towards like guns. It's like a yeah. like an issue specific page, but it's got a decent following. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely uses for Facebook. I just got so frustrated with Facebook. It's always it like it used to be a lot of fun and uh it's a great it's a great platform for like autists who do like to have our type of arguments because like it's really suited for that but then after a while just with all the censoring it just got like just too annoying i just i, I feel like it's like work. it's like fed book i feel like the feds yeah. are just all over facebook yeah <laughs> and it's just I, I don't know i mean uh, it's good for memes i'll give it that every now and then like I'll pop over to Facebook and then like kind of you know, look through my feed and try to find a meme to steal and then go drop it on Twitter. And that's about all. That's really all I use it for other than promos for my show. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Same. Same. Yeah. Cause that's where all the good memes are. Usually it's Facebook. Uh, and like, I don't know. Twitter, not so much, but you know, I don't know. Whatever. Um, well, I guess, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. The spot we left off on, we were halfway through where he was kind of describing the different phases of uh you know how agorist society comes about kind of deal um uh, yeah uh, we already covered phase zero phase one and now we're about to get into phase two what page uh, are you on 
I'm, I'm on, on page 63, although I don't know which one same. you're using. So Same. I got the same. Okay, because I have the one that doesn't have Agris class theory in it. So Although I do have that book yeah. as well. So. Same, 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 same. So I don't know if that affects the numbers, but okay. Uh, cool. So then it should be 63, phase two, mid-density, small condensation agorist society. Um, at this point, the status take notice of agorism. While before, libertarians could be manipulated by one ruling faction to the detriment of another, sort of anti-market competition, played with ballots and bullets rather than innovation and pricing, they will start to be perceived as a threat. Pogroms, mass arrests may even occur, although that is unlikely. Remember, most agorists are embedded in the rest of society and associating with them are partially converted libertarians and counter-economists. In order to reach this phase, entire society has been contaminated by agorism to a degree. Thus, it is now possible the first ghettos or districts of agorists to appear and count on the sympathy or of the rest of society to restrain the state from a mass attack. Uh, I don't know if we have anything to add there. We knocked that first paragraph. It's very much sounding a little bit reminiscent of today. But the weird thing about these phases is like little bits of each phase seems applicable today. So, I mean, I know you've talked before about where you kind of think you are. I feel like you said you phase three is kind of more where we're at or somewhere between the two. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I think we're at like phase three right now. <clears throat> and we'll get into that. But like when he talks about the first ghettos and, and, and districts, like you can almost think of like... Um, like the Miami crypto community or the Agoras or, or voluntaries community in New Hampshire, those would be good examples of like sort of the budding hotspots of agorism that Conkin's talking about here, I think. And I, they're not fully developed yet. Don't get me wrong, but they, they're sort of, we're, we're, we're getting there for sure. Fledgling. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. These communities, whether above or underground can now sustain the new libertarian Alliance NLA acts as spokesman for the Agora within the state of society, using every chance to publicize the superiority of agorist living to status inhabiting and perhaps argue for tolerance of those with different ways. Um, the weird way, I mean, it's weird how he phrases that. Cause I mean, maybe I'm just like not being creative enough because like, I guess I have a hard time uh, applying that to modern day because maybe because he's using explicit terms of like agorist or this or that, maybe, I guess you could almost swap out terms like you hear the word decentralized a lot. So you hear people making arguments for like, say, like uh, crypto and stuff. Uh, so maybe they aren't explicitly. And I, I guess maybe Kong is not even saying that this was explicitly how it'll go down. He's just kind of giving a loose idea. Uh, then also, like, this is why I don't like when he uses terms like NLA when he like over describes it because then it makes it harder to get imaginative and think in different ways of like, well, what could that mean in real life? You know? But right, <laughs> right. But, Maybe that's just me. It's know. important to remember, though, that Konkin has already thought these things out. <clears throat> so, like, this yeah. is probably exactly how, like, how it's going to go down. And it might not be called the New Libertarian Alliance. It might be called something else. But if you look at, like, um, like in Africa, a lot of these revolutionary groups in Africa, it's a very tribal sort of continent. So like, you'll have like the RUF and the, the DRC and like all these different like um, revolutionary groups. And I think that's sort of the, the sort of same tradition Konkin is using here. So we don't know what it will be called, but it is very likely that there will be some sort of um, some sort of a gorist entity that's sort of driving the, the, the direction here. And honestly, the, one of the things that um, I and my, uh, myself and some other agorists have been working on recently have, has been um, 
the creation of, of a DAO, like a, de a decentralized autonomous organization, to sort of further that goal a little bit. And we're in the super, super early planning stages, but it is something that we're working towards because I, I, I think that we're, like I said, I think we're towards phase three. So we should have these this sort of infrastructure in place already. It's just a matter of time. And I, and I think that there's profit to be made, to be honest with you, for, for someone who, who does do it. Yeah. I just do remember earlier, I think he kind of described New Libertarian Alliance. Like when it says as more ambiguous or vague or just kind of a rough group of people, uh, it, it not this cemented thing where it's, I, I guess when you say New Libertarian Alliance, it just makes it, it seems so more formal in, in my head. I guess it, maybe it's just a the taste thing, which I brought up before. Uh, I feel like sometimes he overly defines things or makes them overly mathematical, but that maybe that's just the way my brain works. But. There's a there's a great <laughs> book called um, uh, Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson, mm -hmm. and it, like it sort of like depicts something similar to like this sort of competing like like anarchistic like futuristic marketplace of, of ideas, and I think that's sort of something similar to what we're going to see. We might not have like one group of agorists leading the whole revolution, but it might be like a case where there's like five different groups of agorists all competing for, you know, your attention, for your membership, for your loyalty or something like that. You know what I mean? So, but the, and at the end of the day, they're all, they'll, they'll be working towards the same goal. But Conkin is just using like the whole, yeah. the concept of the NLA is just meant to be like a, a sort of representation of, uh, agorism, I, th I think that's the way I yeah. interpret it. Yeah, I just I know the first, I mean, especially the first reading when I read through this, it seemed way more formal and way more like, but yeah, that may just be a taste thing. Uh, maybe that's it's written in like a real, like, warlike yeah. fashion. Like, yeah, he, like this book is written in a very, like, like, let's go get them, like, confront them head on kind of yeah. fashion. Like, this is as, as far as Conkin's concerned, this, like, the, the revolution gets bloody, and this is what it looks like, you know. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm not done, obviously I'm not done with this section yet. It's been a while since I've read through this again, but I, I know a lot of times Colin can get this, uh, um, what's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he gets the, the rap of being kind of like utopian or whatever, uh, and, and, and especially when it comes to the phases, because people, people make it out like he laid out this specific thing, and the way he words it, you can kind of understand it, like, you know, just with that one paragraph, like New Libertarian Alliance, NLA, uh, and then he's specifically calling it agorist things like, but then when you really sit, take that back, step back, think about that, what that means, it, it can be far more ambiguous than the way it's sort right. of characterized in that paragraph. So also, like, I think that's where some people get put off where like he has this like step by step borderline in their head, how it might be characterized, almost strict, how this will happen when, when you read it. And if you think of it in a different uh, scope you can realize okay this is a little bit more ambiguous than you think it is like it's not as so it's not this like it's not like someone reading revelations and giving you like a specific how things will go <laughs> well, well that's what i was gonna say it's like they'll read the religious books with like a, a grain of salt but like they won't give Conkin the same do yeah <laughs> um yeah oh, hello <laughs> there's your kitty um all right. In this phase, the agorist society is vulnerable to status regression of the populace. Thus, the agorists, whether visible or not, have a high incentive at least to maintain the present level of libertarian consciousness among the rest of the populace. This being done uh, most expertly is the N or expertly this being done most expertly by the NLA. I, I phrase that word. One way to define who the NLA is at this phase. 
Uh, the, the NLA has its sustenance and its mission, but in addition to defending the agri society, it can work towards accelerating the next evolutionary step. All right, I kind of want to re-digest that. Yeah. Maintain the present level of libertarian consciousness. So it sounds like he's kind of saying at this phase, we still need to be very mindful of kind of like what me and you are doing or even what Dave Smith is doing in some, in certain regards or, or whatever. The message at side of things is if, and, and, if that's yeah. And within the context of what Konkin's saying, those people who like the people who are doing these sorts of things that you're describing, they constitute this sort of agorist entity. Yeah. Um, which I think is important to remember because we argue so often about like this section of the libertarian community versus that section of the libertarian community, but we're all we're all fighting towards the same goal at the end of the day. We all want a free society that might look a little bit different to me than it does to you, but generally speaking, there's a huge amount of overlap there, and I think that's what that's what Konkin's talking about at this point. As we get further down, I think you'll see that it gets more specific. But yes, uh, which know, I that, guess that's... maybe it might be why you phrase it as maintain present level of libertarian consciousness. Because one thing I think is important to note when you're reading any of Konkin's work is when he uses the term libertarian and when he uses the, the term agorist and the ways in which he says them, because they have almost different connotations depending on how he uses them. So, because he had just mentioned agorist, so it is kind of suspect. Why did he not just say agorist again? Whereas I guess libertarian would have this connotation of being more, more ambiguous, more vague, just kind of your, your kind of sort of soaking the ideas into the people without being as specific, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think that, um, Konkin, when he says maintain the present level of libertarian consciousness, I think I do think he's he he he's referring to um, like a, a consistent strain of libertarian that he wants us to maintain. Um, that was really important to Konkin. You know what I mean? That was that was really the key. So I think I think like he doesn't it's not enough to go out there and say, like, you know, uh, Go out and vote for your favorite candidate or something like that. I don't think to Konkin, like he was he was very radical. I don't think to him, I'm not sure he would consider that maintaining the present level of libertarian okay. consciousness. I Although guess I, I just I, I maybe I put too much uh, too much meaning into when I see because it is kind of weird uh, how he he interchanges the term agorist or libertarian in certain aspects. So it's, to me, I was like he had just used agorist earlier in this, so I was just like in that very paragraph. So I was just like, why didn't you just reuse it again? But uh, I, I assume there was kind of a connotation or something to be taken from that, but you know, it could just be a, literally just a, a choice of word. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Just try not to be redundant. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, because sometimes I do try to put meaning in that, and then you also do have to keep in mind sometimes where you see a capital L because that obviously is a different meaning. So you know, for those who anyone following this who. I mean, if you're five parts into this and you're not someone super initiated into the libertarian world, there even subtle differentiations of whether it's capitalized or not means a, a whole hell of a difference. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think I think like if you'll see, like I think he capitalizes. Um, I think he's done a, a bunch of important already, yeah. words that he wants to stress. I think he does that often. Mm. Counter economy right. and and agora and stuff like that. Yep. Those are all capital words. All right, cool. Do, 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 do. Let's see if there's anything else I want to break down on that. I think we kind of covered it. Um, yes, Junkie just said, I feel Conk is the kind of person who's very purposeful with his language. Yeah, I do too. But then sometimes it's like you might just be overdoing it. Because, uh, yeah, like I said, in, in that yeah. one, I'm just being kind of semantic. Because in that very same sentence at the beginning, he said, Agris. I guess I, from a literary perspective, if you have 
it would just be a matter of not trying not to use the same word twice in a sentence. You know, just, it's better just to mix it up a little bit. Um, and they're kind of almost the same, in at least the way he uses it sometimes. So, um, all right, part or phase three: high density, large condensation, agri society. In this phase, the state moves into a series of terminal crises, somewhat, somewhat analogous to the well-known Marxist scenario, but with Can different I just causes. Can interrupt? Can, can yeah, I go, go for it. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, as, already, as Jose's reading to go in that first sentence? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying, as Jose's reading this, I want all the listeners to, to consider the state that our, our, current, our government is currently in. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's why I said the first sentence already. You're like, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a boom bust cycle going nuts. Right. <laughs> uh, but with different cause, in this case, real ones. Fortunately, the potential for damage has been drastically reduced by the sapping of the state's resources and the corrosion of its authority by the growth of the counter economy. The potential for damage. You know what? Yeah, well, yeah. Even that last sentence is kind of, I mean, I, I wouldn't say entirely. You, I mean, I okay. So, it, so this like is one of those the, things where the where the where the state they I don't want to say status, but maybe some of the people who are more apt for state power. I mean, I guess you could call them status, but then some of them would even be our libertarian friends would make the argument that some of that was because of and this is, they use the same argument when it comes to like USSR type stuff. They'll be like, I, I, I'm not even a historical buff, so I'm not even really arguing it. It's it's kind of a chicken and the egg type thing. They'll be like, well, what about this political action that happened around the same time that led to X, Y, and Z? Like, you can't say it's all the counter economy. So I know, like, if you're putting this in modern terms, if we're applying this to modern terms, especially that last sentence in some of the toothless manner of the state in some regards, uh, in a certain sense, you can't account at all the counter economy because there'll obviously be someone out there who'll say, well, this political action, that political action led to this. And it's like, I mean, sure, okay, whatever. But there is definitely a, p- a case to be made. Um, you know, I, I, I normally make the case that even those political actions are in some ways influenced by the people who are not involved in politics because they've just thrown it off completely. It's almost like the state struggling to be relevant still. <laughs> like, so. I mean, I, I would argue that like all of the good things have happened in spite of, of political action, not because of it. But mm-hmm. when, when Konkin says the damage has been drastically reduced um, by the growth of the counter economy, like the damage of the state. Think about how um, for any agorist out there, any crypto anarchist watching this, how much the, the damage of inflation has been drastically reduced in your life by cryptocurrency. Right. Think about how much the damage done by gun control has been drastically reduced by 3D printing. Think about how much the damage done by taxi cartels and hotel cartels has been reduced by Uber and Airbnb. And the list goes on and on and on. Right. Think about all the people who can't get drugs and medicine that they need because of FDA regulations that buy them from the deep web. Agorism already is is doing exactly what Conkins is describing here, I think. Yeah, no, I mean. Yeah, and you really it, it is like you do look at the modern you know, scenario where we're like basically on the verge of war with Ukraine, and that was clearly like I mean I'm not saying it's it not with Ukraine but with Russia, but it, I'm not even saying it's entirely because of it, but it there, there's definitely something to the fact that oh we forgot about COVID now, uh, you know, and so it's like I I don't know you you, you put this in modern day terms and, and the stuff, and then you brought up the the potential for damage. It's like just generically, you know, having a more counter-economic lifestyle insulates you against a lot of these issues. You know, the inflation, uh, exactly. gas prices going up. If you've kind of moved yourself along to having more of a, 
don't know, entrepreneurial type thing, you can easily adjust. If you're a, you know, quote unquote wage slave or whatever, which I still am to some extent, you have a specific location, you have a commute you have to go to. I mean, sure, I guess you could be an agorist still and have a commute or whatever, but you're going to be your own working for yourself. So you're going to have more flexibility in what you do and what you like, shit like that. Well, that's, so, and that's the whole thing. Entrepreneurship insulates you from, from lockdowns and, and, uh, you know, forced business closures and, and things like that. So the list goes on and on and on. Every, in fact, every counter-economic activity insulates you from some some sort of status aggression. Yeah. All right. In fact, as the resources of the economy approach equality between the state and Agora, the state is pushed into crisis. Wars and rampant inflation with depressions and crack-ups become perpetual as the state attempts to redeem its authority. Hint, hint. Yeah. <laughs> um, it may be possible to reverse its decline by corrupting the Agora with seductive anti-principles. The so, Libertarian Party. <laughs> so the NLA's first task is clear, to maintain vigilance and purity of thought. In this phase, the NLA may no longer hold either label or much of its old form. Uh, yeah, and that's another you did. Yeah, I mean, the, I know, mean, you have slightly different argumentation when it comes to the, the Libertarian Party. I mean, I more come from a pragmatic, but even in a pragmatic sense, I feel like that holds true. Because, like, yes, yeah, I can, I can totally make the case of the Mises Caucus people of this one generally have to some extent the right idea. I think they're taking the wrong approach, obviously, but uh, they have generally the right principles and such. And I know in their head, they're like, it's in, you know, I just talked about this yesterday in Tower Power, we were talking about like. You know, if the state just like say with what's going on around, if if we just didn't get all fucky in our in our monetary policy, we'd be all right. And it's like, yeah, you're right. And this is like the the uh, dilemma of government. There is that like, well, if we just went back to the Constitution, things would be so much better. And you're like, yeah, you're kind of right. But it's like, but we're not fucking gonna. There's like, a reason why. There's a reason. And, and, and this is actually the topic of, of the book I'm working on. There's a reason why government always fails. Yeah. Right? And it's never worked. We've been doing yeah. this for thousands and thousands of years. There's a reason why it never, ever yes. works. Yeah. And that's kind of the point I'm getting at is that they're like, sure. It's kind of, I would apply that same thing to like the Libertarian Party. It's like, sure. Like, yes, if let's say theoretically the Mises Caucus people reign supreme or whatever you want to call it, and they were able to do everything, you know, perfectly navigate all the strategies or whatever for ad, you know, forever. Sure, maybe there's an argument to be made that there's some sort of case somewhat, I mean, it, it's still kind of iffy, but that's not going to fucking happen. Just like we're not, like the government's not going to fucking like maintain, like isn't going to switch to a gold standard and fucking be like, you know what, Let, let's just fucking, let's just make a, lead a meager lifestyle. Be, you know, we'll, we'll rain back the regulation. We'll fucking. We'll, like, isn't this, a, <laughs> it, 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 isn't this a much more realistic um, strategy? Doesn't this seem like a much more realistic goal than yeah. that we're going to convince everybody to become Rothbardian libertarians? Yeah, that's absurd. It's it's the most it's the it's almost the only strategy that's more utopian than that are the secessionists who think that the state won't genocide them for leaving the union. Yeah, and the beauty about like agorism too, in, in in especially putting in the context of like say like a libertarian party or or whatever, is like the beauty of the praxis of agorism is. It's not complicated. It's not. It's literally just entrepreneurialism. It's self improvement, which then kind of expands out to the community, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it is it's, in some regards, it's kind of complicated. But once you get a grasp, you're like, oh, this is pretty easy. And 
Whereas something like Libertarian Party or even say let's uh, say paleo shit or even Hoppian strategy or whatever, it, it gets way more complicated. And the and the problem is people are like, okay, well, if we just follow this guidelines, you're like, okay, but the problem is the guideline doesn't start and end with you. You have to pass this torch on to someone else. And what are they going to do with this message you pass? going to do it exactly the way you intended it to them to? Whereas something like a simple praxis like agorism it's like this is easy to keep passing the torch on and on and on. And so then people like Mises Caucus people or, or whatever or Hopkins or whatever, they'll point to these short-term successes and be like, look at this. And you're like, okay, but we're giving you this perfect – yeah, maybe you won't have these flashy – and even then we actually kind of do the agorist. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, but like you, won't, you don't generally have these flashy like, well, look at this Ron Paul moment or whatever. But it's like, okay, but this is – this is the slow, the steady. This is the, you know, to put it in Hoppian terms, this is the uh, what's low time preference. Like, you know, whereas you're, you're blowing your wad with a high time preference uh, with something like the Mises Caucus and probably in, you know, five to ten years, it'll get passed off to the people that you stole it from in the first place. So, like, I mean, and I think I made this point when we were when we were talking with Dave was was just that, um, you know, no, no other political movement has had nearly as much success in such a small amount of time as the Agorists have had. Like, we've had the Silk Road, the Bitcoin white paper, the 3D printed gun. We've had the FGC9. We've had tokenized securities and assets and stocks and bonds and all sorts of stuff. And, and we're still going. We have privacy coins and ride sharing services, all sorts of Agorist entrepreneurial activities. So it's like, it's, all, it's like it almost reminds me what, like when you were when you were describing that I was like I think in memes of course so like you ever see that meme where like the top the top uh, uh, image is um, like the it's like the mental gymnastics meme and the top meme the guy is like doing crazy mental gymnastics with bottom line he just does like one or two tricks it's like the worthy the gorus from the bottom like we're we're the very simple understandable strategy look you just disregard the tyrants and do so in an entrepreneurial fashion boom done that's agorism it's yeah. like whereas the other the other factions are like we got to canvas the neighborhood and convince people to be like joe jorgensen supporters and all this like lunatic crazy shit or we're going to secede from the union and if they come and get us we're going to shoot and kill the army like these people are, are batshit crazy we're the only ones with like a, a logical consistent way out of this and unfortunately, um, I used to think we were making good progress. Sometimes, sometimes I, I, in the last year or so, I think it's been a little bit slower. Um, but, you know, I will get there one way or another just by virtue of, of economic activity. It's, yeah, it's we'll inevitable. Yeah, and I think there is something to the point that I, I know a lot of people will say shit like, oh, well, you can do both. And you know, I would like to say that a lot of the energy that's going like the Mises caucus route and shit right that I do think to some extent that kind of pulls away from it. I'm like, yeah, sure, you technically can do both, but you only have so many hours in your in your, in your, in your day or whatever. And it's like, I mean, okay. I, I, could, I, could, I could chain smoke a, a pack. I could chain smoke four packs of Lucky Strikes and get chemo in the evening. It's the same thing as, as voting and engaging in agorism. It's like you're like taking two steps forward and two steps backwards. I mean, it's obviously a little bit more nuanced than that, but there's something to it depending on your how how you frame that. But yes, um, all right, let's let's move on before we keep we <laughs> keep, keep getting sidetracked. Um, yeah, in this phase, the NLA may no longer hold either label or much of its old form. The most motivated new libertarians will move into the research and development segments of the budding agorist protection and arbitration agencies into positions as directors of the protection company syndicates. 
And that is like, I, I get what you're saying with, we're kind of in phase three, but we haven't quite gotten there. That's so like, um, yeah. you, I'm, I'm sure you and the listeners are probably all familiar with um, Dale Brown from the Detroit Threat Management. Um, this is a good example of what content is talking about here, alternative protection uh, agencies. Another one would be Self 411 in Texas where the Don't Comply crew, another one of those small enclaves of Agoras that content spoke about earlier. They came out with this app where rather than if you like, God forbid something happens and you need emergency help, rather than calling 911, you called like 411, I think it was, and it was like an app or something. And you, you this alert would go out to other members of the network and the community would respond rather than the police. So that, that's another alternative. But th that's what Conk is talking about here. And a, a third and final um, example would be that DAO that I was telling you that we're we're thinking about creating this DAO to do exactly that, to sort of act as a sort of protection agency for other agorists. And one way that we intend on doing that is by providing bail relief and, and some other things. But that's that's what's happening today. And that's that's what Conkin is that, that's one of the criteria he uses to describe um, phase three. So that's one of the reasons why I think that we're there. Yeah. Uh, the situation now approaches revolution, but is still reversible. Again, the new libertarians are on the forefront and maintaining and defending gains to this point, but are looking ahead to the next phase. The NLA now just a collective term for the most forward-looking elements. Yeah, that kind of plays on a little bit of talking we were having earlier. Right. Uh, so can accelerate the, the process uh, by discovering and developing the optimal methods of protection and defense, both by word and deed for the industry and by entrepreneuring its innovations. All right. Uh, at this phase transition between three and four, we have the last unleashing of violence by the ruling class of state to suppress those elements that would bring them to justice for all past state crimes. The state's intellectuals perceive that its authority has failed and that all will be lost. Things must be reversed now or never. The NLA must prevent premature awareness of this status or premature action on this awareness. This is the final strategic goal of the NLA. When the state unleashes its final wave of suppression and is finally resisted, this is the definition of revolution. Once realized, a realization has occurred that the state no longer can plunder and pay off its parasitical class, then forces will switch sides to those better able to pay them, and the state will rapidly implode into a series of pockets of statism in backward areas, if any. There's a lot there. I don't know if you have to do it. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, a whole lot. I mean, think about where we are in terms of, of cryptocurrency and and, and um, uh, the U.S. dollar and, and the inflation. As, as the value of the dollar collapses even further, the state is going to lose its ability to pay off it's it's enforcers um and those people are going to need to collect a paycheck and who are they going to turn to they're going to turn to the people who have sound money the agorists right so the ones who have bitcoin and, and silver and gold and bitcoin cash and monero those are the ones who are going to be able to still transact after the state collapses um yeah yeah i think that was basically all i had to say there yeah, I, I definitely I have something to add, but I think I'll add it after this ne next paragraph because it'll fit better there. Uh, real quick though, Outlaw Barber, uh, he didn't he didn't super chat anything, but I'll bring it up anyways just because uh, you know. Uh, he said, do, "Do you have a time frame on when Legal Shield comes out with Agris Nexus? If so, how how much month? I don't even know what that is, but I figured I'd give you a chance to address it if whatever that is." 
Yeah. Legal Shield. Um, um, if you're talking about the Dow, then no. we've got a, we, we've got quite a ways to go. I'm not sure if that's what you mean. Um, but yeah, you should probably ask Brandon. I've got so many I've got so many balls in the air that I'm juggling at once. So many projects. Mm -hmm. It's it's honestly hard to keep up with. Gotcha. All right. Phase four: agro society with status impurities. The collapse of the state leaves up leaves only mopping up operations. Since the insurance and protection companies see no state to defend against, the syndicate of allied protectors collapses into competition and the NLA, its support gone, dissolves. Status apprehended pay restoration and, if they live long enough to discharge their debts, are reintegrated as productive entrepreneurs. Their training comes automatically as they work off their debt. We're home. New libertarianism is taken for granted as the basis of ordinary life, and we tackle the other problems facing mankind. All right, th this uh, okay. Now this is the one I kind of want to address because this is a, and this is one I've heard a lot for critiques, and maybe this will come up again in the critiques. Uh, I have a feeling this probably won't come up to me. I don't know. Maybe it will a little bit in this next chapter, this last chapter. But I know like, you get accused a lot of of uh, uh, Agris of being, you know, I kind of brought this up earlier, utopians. Uh, thinking that we're going to collapse the state, and in some regards we do, uh, but the it, people usually uh, put it in the context of like fantastical that we're going to just have this like, you know, and, and, and I can see how the the misconception, uh, and maybe this is actually even kind of sort of what uh, Konkin did mean uh, that we're going to have this big grand hoorah agorist revolution and the state itself will collapse. I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, likely, and I'm not even sure if, if he meant it specifically like that. Like when you say a state, what do you mean? Do you mean all the state across the, the world? Do you mean one specific federal nation? Do you mean one state state? Do you mean one section of a state? So it's like I don't think it's going to be this clean thing that's portrayed to be. I mean, I do think eventually, technically, probably maybe be hundreds, thousands of years in the future, we will see a fully you know agoristic libertarian world whatever you want to call it maybe not technically fully but like to the point to where like whatever statism is there is pretty marginal um but yeah i do think it's still even after reading that i do think it's a little bit of a mischaracterization to portray it as if he is flat out saying that we're going to have this crazy you know one you know agorist revolution and then the state is dead like it, it, there's definitely some nuance to be had there. Like, what do you mean by state? Like it, you know what I mean? So I, I actually disagree. I think, think that's, so? ex yeah, I think exactly what we're going for is a complete and total victory here. Like no compromise. The, 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 the arrival does not survive this match. The state dies at the end of this. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, every agorist, the state is already defeated to the degree that they accept agorism in their own lives. So once you accept agorism, let's say you are 90% counter-economist, 90% agorist, you are 90% free, right? So the state has already been defeated in your individual personal life. When we all come together and we all do that, or at least when a sufficient number of us come together and do that, the state collapses. It can't. It can't maintain under with, with, under under its own weight. It just falls and collapses, and that is sort of um, what Konkin. So that's sort of what the whole Agorist Revolution is about. <clears throat> um, but one thing I wanted to go over here, which is sort of one thing that he. It's not related to what you were talking about, but it, it, he does bring it up here. And it's one of my favorite parts of agorism. It really is. And it's one of the things that drives most people nuts, which perhaps is why I love it so much. 
But he says, statists apprehended pay restoration. And if they live long enough to discharge their debts, are reintegrated as productive entrepreneurs. So think about what that means. Like, and he expands on this in an, in an article that he wrote called The Bread is Mine Too. Um, where uh, the, the idea here is that uh, there is no sort of like prison in an Agora society. There is no sort of coercive punishment in an Agora society. Because if you think about it, the only, the only rights we have are property rights. So all crimes can be um, uh, uh, fixed um, by, um, return, by returning property, by making the, the, the victim whole again. So, if, so Yeah, exactly. So if you think about like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and stuff like that, these people have racked up uh, incredible amounts of – they've really robbed an incredible amount of people. So the amount of money that they would have to pay back would be immense. So what do we do with people like this? They wind up in work-based restitution camps, labor camps, what the Hoppians like to refer to as the Agorist Gulags, which is a term I, th I think that we should embrace. <laughs> um, one of my, I've often joked that one of my half jokes, <laughs> that one of my goals in life has been to ride around like the Django on top of his horse, like overseeing my farm of like politicians um, working off their debts to the American people, like Nancy and Chuck just doing like yard work, at, like farm work for me. Yeah, but, slavery is not immoral if they're not people. So, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're politicians, people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, I mean, how else do you deal with with a politician in a post-revolutionary society in a way that's consistent with the non-aggression principle? It's the only yeah. way. Is is a restitution-based yeah. uh, system. Yeah, no, and uh, I mean, when it comes to like criminal justice, it's like, I I get it. Like, there is definitely that like urge of like we need some sort of like blood restitution or or whatever. And I I hundred percent get that. And I actually think there are definitely situations in which that's entirely appropriate. Uh, but um, you know, like usually even then those would be ninety nine times out of a hundred. I think the only times those are entirely appropriate really is if it's a situation in which. You know, you're only doing violence because it, it's called for in the moment. But now if you're past the moment and it's like, hey, this doesn't do anything other than just make me feel good in some weird twisted way, then it's like it really it does. It generally doesn't do good. Like, yeah, you're like if you start, you know, just killing politicians, it's like now you've kind of now. Now what happens when you start killing politicians? Like, say you kill a Rand Paul or, or, or whatever. Or you, some, you, you, at you, that you, point, you become the. Yeah, you you've you've become the politician at that point, right? That's that's what happened with Robespierre. That's what happened with Cromwell. That's what happened when Washington invaded Pennsylvania. Um, you know, at the end of the revolution, the guy holding the sword becomes the next tyrant, and that that's yeah. sort of the that's sort of the whole issue. Um, and in terms of like criminal justice, if I if I exact fifty dollars worth of damage on you, right? If I I don't know if I somehow create some problem for you where you unjustly incur $50 worth of damages, you have the right to seek back $50 plus whatever interest I might have cost you and any sort of fees that you might have incurred in, in getting me to pay that money back. Anything past that is on your part is aggression, right? So one of the things is agorist, the, one of the unique implications of agorist punishment theory one of the implications that falls out of all of this is that we, we reject uh, punishment for the sake of deterrence. 
right? So, so, um, you know, if I if I cost you fifty bucks and and ten dollars to it cost you to pay someone to get the money back from me, and maybe you could have made another five bucks if you had that money, so I owe you a total of sixty five bucks, let's say, and you say, hey, I want a hundred bucks to make sure you never do this again. Then you at that point become the aggressor and I become the victim. And I think that's that that's a pretty uh, uh, interesting part of all this. Yeah, uh, Kumo McCain Mick. McMahon, I don't know why I had so much trouble with that name. He uh, has a super chase. Off topic question Do you feel that agorism may be losing out in cultural revel- relevance to the other ideologies? Uh, I mean, real quick, I would say like maybe there's some truth to it, but I, I do think when it comes to like relevance or whatever, it ebbs and flows. So, I mean, it's kind of really hard to like read the tea leaves based off the current situation. Like, I mean, you've been in this game longer than I have, Sal. I know it definitely was super hot when. Uh, it, you know, it was shit was super dire during the like the lockdowns when everyone's freaking out. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a similar time like that where more people come to that realization or say the let's say the LPMC does have some sort of, you know, uh, moment at some point to where their plans come crumbling down. I actually don't think they will. I think they'll they'll, they'll do their whole takeover. And I think I think it'll just be a slowly like a uh, subversion type thing where bad elements start seeping in there and then the good the decent people start leaving and it starts getting taken over by the shit shitheads again but let's say something happens along the way and some fulcrum point occurs and it, there's a shift I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another resurgence of like agorism or something at that point so you know yeah i don't i i think that the opposite right i think that we are gaining in cultural relevance um you know relative to the other ideologies think about and and one of the key aspects of all this, and we know this from Hop, is that culture is sort of driven by um, monetary policy. And as agorists, we have the we have the most sound money of everybody. So, um, no, I, I don't think that at all. I think that as the state becomes more oppressive and more, they sort of prohibit more aspects of daily life you're going to see more and more people migrate to agorism and to agorist solutions whether they know that's agorism or not is a different story right but they are going to be migrating to black and gray market solutions it happens every time every time the state becomes oppressive um i've got a whole section on it in anti-politics in book four every time the state becomes oppressive in some way there's a sort of counter economic response the minute I, I don't know who said it, it might have been Pete, somebody, your buddy. Uh, the moment that the state makes a law, there's a black market uh, in response to it. So we can't lose. I really think agorism is inevitable in in a certain way. Yeah, um, God, yeah, you definitely hit on it there because I, I I was I was going to correct you and be like I think we're kind of both right, but then you whether they know it or not because I get what he means in a certain sense of like agorism and like you know. Uh, I guess you could almost call it like capital A agorism or, or lowercase, you know, like agorism in the specific ideological, whatever you want to call it sense. But then there is a like, you know, I, I get your main point was that even if you don't have that, that's still becoming more of a thing. It's just a matter of whether they realize it or not. And and at the end of the day, like I want people to realize it. That's the end goal. But at the end of the day, as long as they're engaging the counter economy, that's my prime objective. The, the, the rest is just frosting on the cake. So. Culture is a product of the market. It really is. You know, when I was a kid growing up right out, right in New York City, right outside New York City, um, 
if there was like a movie or something, we were broke growing up. We couldn't afford shit. If there was like a movie or like a like some like nice clothing that you wanted, we weren't gonna go buy like the, like the name brand clothing item. We we're gonna go see the the movie. We were gonna go to Canal Street and buy it for like the Chinese people for like you know two dollars. You know, compared to the fifty dollars we would pay at the store. So like, there's always a response, no matter what the law is. There's always an agorist response to it. And at the end of the day, we always win. We yeah. always win. Look at the drug laws, right? Look at how mass noncompliance forced the state to sort of uh, reverse itself and reverse the whole the, the, the prohibition of, of drugs and stuff like that. It wasn't, wasn't some Libertarian Party candidate. Gary Johnson didn't get elected and changed the marijuana laws. It was mass noncompliance that did that. Look at right now. The state's biggest threat is cryptocurrency. It's not the LP. It's not the Mises Caucus. It's not uh, the paleo libertarian movement. No, it's cryptocurrency. They're they're running regulations on three D printing. Agorism is what scares them. If you want to know what scares the state, look to where they're concentrating their firepower, and it's not at any other ideology but us. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to touch on because I, I did touch on the utopian ish kind of question. I don't even know if utopian is the right way to. Someone said in here, and it kind of gets on what I'm getting at a little bit. He said, over the last after the last few years, I don't know if or how a large portion of the global population would survive without stale, the state telling them what to do. And I'm not saying that specifically. My point being, and this is something popular liberty talks on a lot, is that there's like an there are in there is an incentive or, or whatever. There are people who do want that. I mean, maybe you will over time convince them that that's not really what they want, but in the immediate, that's what they think they want. And so that's my, my, the idea of, you know, the entire U S in one fell, uh, fucking motion collapsing under an agorist revolution. I think it's technically probably possible, but, um, I do think it, we should, I mean, maybe we should, but at least I do. I typically try to reframe it for people like, okay, that's one thing that could happen, but it also could be like this area collapses and this other area fortifies more statism, but then over time our ideology seeps in and then allows them to collapse, et cetera, et cetera. It may not be this, this, cause a lot of people see this uniform thing that happens because we're, this is a huge country. The idea that we would have a uniform level. And you know, I, I do think there is definitely something, especially with like something like cryptocurrency, we could, collapse it in some way but it will probably in some places reestablish its its footings of statism and, and such so it, it won't be this clean perfect thing at least i don't think it will be and i mean it's possible it could be i don't think it'll be this clean perfect thing that some people seem to think it may be uh although it, sure maybe it could be but i i, I just think a maybe a little bit more imagination is required as opposed well to yeah i mean i don't so, i don't it's almost like a straw it's almost like a straw man that people, I feel like people throw at agorists that like, oh, you're just going to collapse the state and da-de-da. Like, I, I think it might be a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> right. And obviously, like, Konkin is like putting this in like 60-some-odd pages, right? So yeah. there's like, like obviously, there's, there's a lot more detail here. And, and of course, um, it's going to be more messy than that. No banking cartel is going to give up a monopoly on the issuance of currency peacefully. It's never going to happen. But I would just point out that... Um, Regarding the comment that you're talking about, what Jeff said, after the last two years, I don't know if or how a large portion of the global population would survive without the state telling them what to do. I would just point out that a large portion of the global population hasn't survived because the state is telling them what to do. Look oh, at yeah. how many people have died in the last two years taking their vaccine and um, God, yeah, I agree. Doing, you know, my, following my, their rules. My point, though, was that 
even though they're wrong, it's still like it, how they're operating at the moment. And it, I think that will change over time, especially with market forces. But let's say yeah. some agorist revolution occurred right now. I do think there would, would still be people clamoring for their chains and they would probably organize roughly in some sort of areas and probably have something akin to a state or even, you know, maintain like, let's say there was some sort of crazy, I don't know, even know what, like a whatever. And let's say like New Hampshire or, or certain rural areas or some weird conglomerate of areas sort of became this stateless, mushy thing. But then you have other areas like Cali that are super, super stateless yeah, still. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, it, it, I don't think it'll be this clean, perfect thing that everyone, that some people seem to think it might be. Like, Well, that's, that's sort of where we are now, today, right? Like, if you think about it, and I, I said this before, I might have said it on your show, like, we, we already have enclaves of agorism developing all over the world, right? We have, like, the Miami Bitcoin community. We have the Free Staters, the Dash community in, in uh, New Hampshire. We have the Don't Comply crew in Texas. Um, I'd like to get a little community going here in uh, the Tampa area. We should we, something that we should talk about one of these doing yes. one of these days. But <laughs> um, you know, there's a gorse in Brazil and Portugal that I talk to in Mexico and Acapulco, all over the world. And like that's what he's talking about, I think. And and a little bit earlier in in our reading today, that's what he was talking about. But yeah. Um, you know, by the way, I just want to say Paul Lewis hits the money on the on the hits the nail on the head here. This crypto can't be stopped. Currency is only the basis of, of an economy. You need the counter economy to provide mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. And that's that's exactly what I think Conkin is, is talking yeah. about here. Yeah, that's kind of my point, too, with the, the point that like, yes, uh, let's say there's some sort of collapse of some sort and like a state collapse and. Let, let's say you know the agri like there are people clamoring for their chains and they do group up in certain areas but it's in the same point at the same point we still have the market forces in our benefit they may be able to hold on to some you know vestiges of state you know controlled ish whatever but at the end of the day we will over time you know it may not be this clean uniform thing that happens we will over time win just due to the way economics works and the fact that you know like hey you you want goods right well we have fucking goods so like well it's, it's even more so than that and like the most appealing thing about agorism is the instantaneous liberation that it offers people once you accept agorism once you understand that um you are actually born free and that there is just this mob of gangsters um artificially oppressing you and stealing your freedom and taking it away from you once you realize that and you you uh commit to a life of Nonviolent civil disobedience, then you've already won. You've won at that point. You have effectively nullified the state in your life. Like agorists, if you if you have become your own bank, you don't. You're not. You're not all the inflation bullshit. You're not worried about it because you're not paying it, right? If you yeah. if you make your own guns and you disregard gun laws, who gives a shit about that new ATF law about the, you know, Glock triggers? Who cares? Right, there's about auto sears. I got a 3D printer. I can do about 20 of those a day. Right? Who gives a shit what these people say? As once you realize that you are already free, that's the whole key about all of this. Is that liberty is something that's like inherent within all of us. It doesn't. It's not some other politician can't give it to you because it was never his in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I carry legally all the time. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can stop tomorrow. <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean, like. 
it, you know, like I get it. There's like a penalty, but it's like, okay, in my head, I'm like, well, what are the chances that I would ever fucking catch me? Like, <laughs> it's pretty fucking low. Like, yeah, I don't want to get caught, but it's also I'm too. Low I don't to do anything low. illegal. I'm yeah. completely by the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's extrajudicial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Oh God, there was something you said there. Oh yeah, and that kind of plays to to kind of bring up to the utopian point again. Uh, that that is that, and that was something I kind of wanted to work in there. The idea of that, like, well, it's not even. It's a matter of like, how free are you, and how free are your surroundings? So, like, let's say, like, with because people always accuse them of having this like utopian idea of, you know, we're gonna have this uniform, you know, magical unipolar moment of the agorist where everything just changes, and it's like, okay, maybe, but at the same time, like, it's kind of missing the forest for the trees. Like, if you are, if we. At the end of the day, the biggest thing is that you need to we want to get to a point to where you in your your individual life at a point to where you are free and everything extends outward from there. So now if you're in a situation where, you know, everyone within 100 miles of you is roughly in a, you know, 95 plus percent agorist ish type, you know, economy or whatever. What does it does it really? I mean, yeah, in a certain sense, it matters that someone in Italy is living under a government or whatever but i mean like it's kind of an afterthought and it's like yeah that's sad that they're living like that but you know the other day i'm free and you know the people i care about are free etc cetera, etc cetera. So, like, and there's a great um i i included a piece here in anti-politics uh chapter 16 by per byland called saving the world through saving yourself and that's exactly what he's talking about here is that um you know, the whole concept of uh, a lot of libertarians will tell you, well, I'm trying to convince everybody to be libertarian. Or I want to, like, save other people and bring them into the movement. And what Per Bylan says is, look, with a whole lot of luck, you got 70 to 80 years on this planet. Do you want to spend it trying to convince other people that they're being oppressed? Like, if you can't see the oppression as we're being forcibly injected, then there's nothing that I can do to convince you otherwise. I'm sorry. If you can't see the oppression at a 60% income tax rate, I can't help you. So rather than that, I'm, and this is also something that Thoreau brings up in, um, in essay on civil disobedience. He says like, I'm, I'm only, I'm, we're only around for so long. I'm, I'm, I'm born in this world to live here, not to convince others to let me live. And I think that that, um, that's really the sort of centerpiece of agorism. And that's a point that I, I try to stress in anti-politics. Yeah. No, that is definitely important. There's, there's some sort of like frame of mind to be had there. I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with trying to convince people. And I actually think there's to some extent commendable. It's noble. But there is, yeah. Yeah. And there's some, but at the same point, there's something too like, okay, maybe have a little more respect for yourself in a certain way. It, it, like, Live your life the way, at least the way I see it. Everyone's different. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Live your life and like the way I see it with like, you know, convincing others of liberty or whatever. I mean, obviously I have the show. I mean, I, I, this is more just for myself and anything. I like talking about these ideas. Oh, it's like, <laughs> go ahead. it's fine to educate people on yeah. all those things. That That's completely fine. The key though, is to understand that the only way to a free society is through free individuals. So you yourself have to be free before we if we want to create a free society we have to be free um as as individuals as people before we can do that and that's yeah. that's really the whole key um yeah yeah but point i was more getting at is i think it's better off to 
live your life looking for those people more apt for those ones and kind of sort of roughly grouping up with them, whether that be through market actions, which is encouraged through our agorism or, or even, you know, ideally even people who are friends, family kind of slowly moving along those lines because they're people that matter to you and you want them to be in your life. And so it, you, it's beneficial for you. It's beneficial for them. So it's, and this is a little bit of a hopping idea too, to some extent, a lot of people, you know, it's kind of, instead of, Instead of trying to change other people, find those more apt to you and, and draw them in. Uh, and then you kind of, you know, essentially start creating your own groups. And this is kind of market action, essentially. And, you know, from there, it will kind of just naturally expand out anyways. This this idea of educating others, you know, you're kind of creating a group. Do you want to be part of this group? Do you want to, you know, whatever, you know. And, and so, you know, go ahead. As agorists, when we interact with black and gray market entrepreneurs, right, a lot of times we're dealing with people who um, don't know or care about political philosophy. They could they could give two shits less. These people yeah, are just fine. trying yeah. to, yeah, they're just trying to, to to provide for their family. It's one of the things Konkin tells us, and I think is important, is to go to these people and introduce them to the philosophy. And show them that, hey, look, what you're doing, there's a name to it. It's called agorism, right? What the philosophy that you're living by is called agorism. This is something that I do all of the time to people that I encounter um, every day. And I've turned so many people into agorists um, who have been living agorist lifestyles but haven't even realized it. And uh, that has been one of the, the key ways that I've been able to convert people. And then those people... Because they're entrepreneurs, right? They they go out and they convert other people as well. Um, so it really is like a sort of it's it's like very contagious. Once it's the sort of thing that you know humans are the way our minds work. We can't we can't um, reject something that's logically consistent, right? When something's true, it's consistent. We as humans, the way our minds work, we have to accept it as as rational thinkers. And agorism is is exactly that same way. All right, let's knock out this last chapter. We keep going on good. These are fun tangents, but <laughs> I'm like, shit. I was worried this is going to be too short of an episode, and I'm like, shit, it's going to be a long Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. These are good tangents. Uh, action or tactics, last chapter. It's a little bit shorter, so hopefully we can knock it out in a decent amount of time. The previous chapter discussed some tactics in passing. A few that have been found productive for radical libertarians and the MLL include infiltration of less radical groups and sparking splits by presenting alternatives. Con, you know, there you that that was we talked about earlier with the LP stuff essentially. That's kind of what you're getting at there, like just hanging out with the LP people, but doesn't mean you have to do all the other shit. Uh, I mean, hell, you even advocated creating your own caucuses. Um, but confrontation or coercion or deviation with visible day to day personal salesmanship among friends, libertarian social groups such as supper clubs to exchange information, goods, and support, and to act as a proto agora, and of course, publication, public speaking writing fiction with agorist messages and educational activities in many forms, teacher, business consultant, entertainer, revisionist economist, cat breeder, etc. Successful tactics can only be discovered and used and passed on. Those who perceive sufficiently similar conditions in time and place to those of another where a tactic worked can use it, but it is all a risk. What is, that is what activism is, a type of entrepreneurship, of guessing the market and supplying the demand. 
One can become better and better at making good guesses. That's what makes a successful entrepreneur. It's all in human action by Von Mises, if you can apply it. Uh, to find out what has been tried and worked or failed, communication is necessary. If you have reached this page and agreed and have a desire to support resistance or a burning need to resist coercion, you are ready for the MLL or NLA in existence, depending on the phase we are currently in. Free yourself. Get active. Uh, you have anything to add to that before we get into this? It kind of starts getting to what phase we're in. But uh, So the MLL, for anybody out there watching, listening, who's wondering, the MLL is the movement for the libertarian left, which was a sort of movement that Konkin created. Um, had a publication by the same name, but not much more other than that um, is really known about it. But uh, the only other thing I would add here is in the first paragraph, Konkin just sort of gives you a list of different ways you can engage in agorism. So if you're out there wondering, how can I do this? Pick one, right? Teacher, business consultant, entertainer, revisionist, historian, agorist, economist, um, fiction writing, um, organize a supper club, all a social group. Exchange information, goods, and support, so on and so forth. So, like, there's no, um, like, a lot of times we, one of the criticisms, criticisms that we get and that Rothbard gives later on is that, you know, this is, this is, you know, who's going to engage in all these black market activities? This isn't for the family man, right? How can you expect the average American to do this? Look at all the different ways the average American can engage with counter economy that Konkin just listed. Yeah, we we've gone ad nauseum about this. I know I've I've used the example I think a few times in this series already of you could literally be a CEO of some corporation and you could still engage in agorism. You're just bending the rules right. in whatever way you can. And obviously there are aspects of your life that aren't very agoristic, just like right. there are aspects of mine that aren't. There are aspects of probably most agorists that aren't. I mean, hell, even you being yeah, you know, I know absolutely. you're the prime. I'm I'm sure you still engage in sometimes in activities. You're like, well, maybe this other activity would be preferable and more agoristic in some extent. I know what shit that could even be something as simple as, well, uh, there's a little fucking mom and pa shop that clearly probably doesn't, you know, submit all their taxes information uh, or report it or, or, or Walmart. And you know what? Sometimes that convenience you go to Walmart. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No. I mean, sometimes it's, a, it's you're weighing the pros and cons. But, you know, if you're in a position, you're like, I have a little extra time to go. I'll, I'll, I'll drive two minutes down the road and go to the little, you know, little farmer's market or whatever. And get right, that right. Just There's always something. It's literally just a, it, it's a mentality of like what is more, you know, uh, what is more preferable in that aspect. It's just being exactly. More we all yeah. engage the agora to the to the, to the degree that we're able to. Yeah. Right. And that, that includes like risk assessment and, and financial capabilities and, and, and everything else, too. Yeah. And even as petty as that example I just gave between going to the farmer's market or going to Walmart, you know what? Like even the most truest of agorists, like sometimes you got shit to do. That's that sounds ridiculous, right. but it's completely valid. Sometimes yeah. the 20 minute cost value is you know is enough to where it's like, you know, in, in my given example, maybe I'm doing a million other agorist things and it's like, OK, well. I mean, this give an example. It's not ideal. You, know, you have to prioritize, right? Yeah. You have to prioritize and, and, and do what you can. You have to do the most that you can with what you have. Not everyone is going to be able to live. I don't know if anyone can live 100% as an agorist. I don't even think Konkin lived. Yeah. From what I understand, he was very agorist, but um, I don't know if he was 100%. You know, I, I, I can't imagine how anyone could live uh, I don't even think it'd like be healthy that. to live that way, really. Like, <laughs> you know, like in a certain sense, and that's and, and I guess in a way that's almost kind of missing the point because the uh, the idea is to I mean I mean to some extent it is like 
I'm I evil. Guess, yeah. I, I I think I'm 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 I've got a good I'm about eighty percent there, but you know yeah. that's that final twenty percent that you can't you just can't avoid it. Yeah, like you know some of us you know it depends what your your specific circumstances are, but you might need to get a driver's license. You might need to register your car. You might need. You know what I mean? Who knows? It depends on what you do and, and how you live your life and stuff like that. But, it, you know, if, if it's important um, to structure your life in a way that you can take on the greatest degree of risk possible. If you know, again, if you're 40 years old, you got a wife and two kids, you have obligations, you got a mortgage, you got to pay, you probably can't engage in the same level of risk that a 17 year old um, who's going to get charged as a juvenile can can take on and yeah. that's just the way life goes right but you still yeah, do what you can yeah. to the best of your ability yeah and your life matters far more than some agoristic virtue signaling <laughs> so like it, a lot of people you don't need to bend over backwards is the whole point like if it is and you got i think it's a mindset thing where you have to realize you're not doing this for virtue signaling you're doing this because it actually will make your life better your personal life and it will expand outwards so like even that example of the farmer's market, if you have 20 extra minutes, I think in the long run, it's actually better to support those type of industries. It's better because that money, less of that money goes to the thing. It's better because you're getting a better product, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there are obviously, you know, sometimes where it's like, yeah, it's more convenient to go Walmart, whatever. Palou says homesteaders still go to the store. He's absolutely right. I know Shudra out in Australia grows all kinds of stuff. And I think he still has to like. There's still a few things. Yeah, he can't grow, so he has to go to the store and buy. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's the kind of point I'm getting at. Is uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, Kumo just said one of the strengths of ag is any step is a step in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, any yeah. way that you can remove the state's influence in your life is a huge victory. That's enormous, right? If you can become your own bank and you can stop paying the inflation tax, you can stop paying for the the child of genocide in Yemen. That is enormous. I don't care who you are. Like the way I look at it, that is like a, a dramatic victory. Right. If you could do something like that, that's not even like a small step. That's a huge step. If you could negate um, the ATF's influence in your life or the Federal Reserve's influence in your life or the SEC's influence in your life or the police, whatever. If you can stop these agencies from affecting your life, that is an enormous victory. It's much more than any other faction of the libertarian movement can can claim to have uh, achieved. Yeah, but in the end, if you don't drill that third hole, do you really love liberty? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just kidding. No comment. Don't do that. <laughs> what phase are we in? In October 1980, first edition, most of the planet Earth is in phase zero. The planet, the British Isles, Australia, and Canada have moved substantially towards phase one. North America is in phase one. Uh, only in the highest uh, concentrations today in Southern California. <laughs> are the first signs of phase two okay maybe there's something to that but that makes me giggle <laughs> uh, you know i mean i guess the spots where they cracked down you have to remember though at, at the time though so at the time bob lafave like so rothbard had this whole like uh like anarchist meetup at his place in in new york like walter block and roger garrison and just absolute legends at the same time over on the west coast in la Bob Lafay was doing the exact same thing with Sam Conkin, Victor Komen, 
Daniel Shulman, and all these other legendary agorists or legendary anarchists who are proto-agorists. And um, that's what he's talking about here when he says Southern California, because like the the Lefebvre group was had a sort of agorist um, tendency, whereas the East Coast libertarians, the Rothbardians, were more engaged in the political arena. That makes sense, yeah. Um, assuming the situation is not reversed, the, the first few droplets of actual agorist societies, anarcho villages are nucleating a viable sub-society. Uh, and and by the way, yeah. I had Victor Komen on the Agora a while back to talk about um, the, the anarcho village um, where him and Konkin and Daniel Shulman and a bunch of other agorists um lived for years and it was like the base of the agorist uh community for a while in california back in the day nice uh the movement of the libertarian left exists only in california with a few scattered nuclei agents and cells in alliance the new libertarian alliance previously proclaimed uh, was found premature and nla remains an embryo or nucleus until objective conditions arrive to sustain it the MLL has its work cut out for it. Externally, the worldwide collapse of the left has has weakened left in quotations. Uh, okay, uh, has weakened restraints on the competitive segments of the state who are rushing towards war to remystifies their remystify their restive victims with patriotism. There's something there. Um, you know, it's pretty convenient after you know two plus years of fucking us with COVID now war stuff <laughs> uh, seizing the abandoned le leadership of the anti-imperialism anti-war and anti-conscription movement with a fresh invigorating ideological backing has become an opportunity for libertarians to become the left MLL has to compete with party arc and monocentrist elements for this preeminence I do want to reiterate and we do this almost every time when he says left he's not literally meaning like liberals or democrats or even left libertarians in the modern sense of the word he's more meaning uh i mean we've been over this in the classical sense different. yeah yeah so uh the lurching of american plutocracy from the brink of runaway inflation to depression and back again and even other swing large numbers of complacent businessmen and raise their consciousness beyond conservative assurances of restoring stability to consider radical and even revolutionary alternatives. Only the libertarian left can steer these entrepreneurs toward an ideological, non-pragmatic position. Therein lie our opportunities. Internally, the Libertarian Party has reached a crisis with the 1980 American presidential election. The premature masking of the statism inherent in partyarchy by Crane Clark's blatant opportunism has managed to generate not only left opposition, but right and center opposition. Uh, I'm not as aware with this uh, bit of history. I'm not sure if you are. Major defections mount daily. Uh, I don't know if you know much with that one. I mean, I'm sure you could. it sounds like something you could easily... Uh, uh, put in modern context with a, uh, I don't know, Bill Weld or a, or a fucking, <laughs> or a, even to some extent, uh, Jojo or whatever the hell, um, to where they, they, they jump the shark so much that everyone's kind of like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think yeah. this is just sort of like the politics of the data conk and is yeah. sort of berating. 
Yeah, which I mean that the, I mean, you can these you know history I rhymes mean, or something to that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Conkin says you know the Libertarian Party is in a crisis. When is the Libertarian Party not in a crisis? When have they not been in a crisis? You know, yeah. they're always in a crisis. Whether it's Gary Johnson can't doesn't know where Aleppo is, or it's just bake the cake, or Joe Jorgensen is joining Black Lives Matter, or. The Mises Caucus is, is upsetting everybody. Like, there's always crisis in these political movements, and that's because they are political in nature, of course. Yeah. The failure of reformist elements to oust the Coctopus by the Denver Convention uh, and lull the unradicalized back in line would set the USLP back dramatically and generate thousands of disillusioned recruits for the MLL and anti-party educational and counter-economic activities. With this manifesto, oh, go ahead. Give me a this is something that I that I still try to do, right? So as people get frustrated with the party, it's our job as a gorus to say, "Hey, look, we have an alternative solution where you don't have to deal with this bullshit. There's no more infighting, right? In politics, it's based on competition and adversarial um, mm -hmm. sort of fighting. In in the market, it's based on cooperation and like mutual mutually beneficial exchange. Yes. So like when we see these people who are disillusioned with the party, let's let's extend an olive branch to them and try to draw them into the fold. Yeah, you know, there's a good point to that because I, I do frequently talk. I mean, obviously, I have a political philosophy type podcast. So uh, sometimes I will get in these conversations about political strategy and, and it is funny. People tease me cause I'm like an agorist. I'm like, I can still put my like political strategy hat on. This isn't me saying this is the best idea. So right. like you bring right. up, you, <laughs> I can so, point out how shitty of a job you guys are doing without yeah. even believing in your mission. Yeah. And, and the kind of like point, like uh, to say, to put in the, the context of the Mises caucus, if anything, one of my, if I'm going to put on my political strategy, hat, one of my biggest critiques, if anything is they don't go hard enough in the takeover language in the we are taking it this political entity over with our with our given you know philosophy or whatever um because that leaves the door open the the, the more room you leave open in a political sense for a subversion for and it's going to happen eventually no matter what because that's just how the incentives work right. but this exactly. this allows for other elements, which we already kind of saw with the rod strap thing with kind of a, a liberal, whatever the fuck kind of getting in there, which I mean, I know their arguments be like, well, it's a minor position. You're like, OK, but you're kind of you're opening the door. You're letting it just in. Wait, like, just wait. Yeah, just, just wait. wait. <laughs> like, and, and that's if anything, I don't go hard enough. But the beauty of something like agorism is we don't have that fucking problem because it's like we don't have to ha take this thing of agorism and be like wall it off and keep it perfectly right. hermetically sound i mean in a certain sense you kind of do but it's mostly entrepreneurialism so it's like yeah i mean okay yeah you're gonna pick and choose who you're gonna you know want to do business with etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's some aspect of that but it's far more open and way more you know decentralized or whatever whereas something like a central entity you know you there are certain like yeah you, you like oh, oh there there is this and that's a bit one of the biggest criticisms the non LPMC people will give them shit for is the takeover language and it's like yeah well that's I mean that's in a political sense that's what they're fucking supposed to do <laughs> like, right, and, it, right. It, it, and them giving any ground to you whatsoever in, in a political sense is them opening the door for you to re-enter into it so but, but, but notice how in agorism there's none of that there's yes. no there's no like i'm it's not like i'm gonna take you over jose there's none of that bullshit there's none of that it's like i need to work with you 
we both have a goal in mind and it's in both of our interests to see each other succeed. That's the way it should work, right? That's the way, like when Tolstoy spoke about love, and this is why we are classical leftists as agorists, because Tolstoy and like that whole tradition, but like when Tolstoy spoke about love, this is what he was talking about. He was talking about how the market functions, right? How the market is sort of mutually beneficial to all parties involved. That's what agorism is involved. That, that, that's what it means. And that's what, um, I think that's one of the biggest strengths to it. One of the biggest um, differences between agorism and other forms of libertarianism is that we are able to sort of um, uh, uh, maintain that sort of, I don't want to say it sound like a sort of hippie, but like that sort of like brotherly love sort of aspect. Like that really is important, I think. And you don't yeah. find that in politics. Yeah. And there is definitely some sort of, there's almost like a market mechanism in our inherent in the philosophy or whatever you want to call agorism, as opposed to something like political activism or whatever, because like I brought up the example before, you do have to kind of wall it off. Like it doesn't act under the same, you know, within like something like agorism or entrepreneurialism, uh, the shitty ones kind of get weeded out in, in a certain sense, whereas it requires exactly. more central action, which I basically just described from something like a political entity. It requires something like that to be like, no, you know, to like wall off, you know, philosophically and in, in the example I use with the LPMC or whatever, whereas something like an agorism, it's so decentralized, so market forces, it just kind of, it's the, the unseen hand. It does it on its own. Exactly. Know? Exactly. <laughs> like if you look at me, if you start a business like a 3D printer company to and accept cryptocurrency, you assume that there's a demand there. You're taking a risk, but if, if if you're right, and there really is a demand for people to acquire uh, 3D printers without having to access KYC payment platforms, you can make you can make money and you can benefit financially, and that is the whole key. That is the key to agorism: finding ways to profit that disrupt the state. That's what it's about, and and that's the only way. The only way we're going to get to to a free society. Yeah. It's the only way the individual is going to free themselves. It's the only way we as a society. If that even is, exists, if you even think it's a real thing, I'm not even sure it is. So don't don't DM me. But but if if you do accept society as real, that's the only way to get to a, a free society. Yeah, and and you said like agorism is essentially entrepreneurialism while trying to disrupt the state. I would even add that last little qualifier while trying to disrupt the state. And I think we've had conversations with it. I actually think in a certain sense it's essential, but if you really start to think in a longer scope and in a different way, you realize it's almost redundant because yeah. if you drop that line, it's, it, it's literally just a, you know, a low time preference look at entrepreneurialism because you know that by not operating within the state to the extent that you can, you do insulate yourself from further aggressions of the state in the future. And it, and it creates a market effect where it allows other people to engage as well. And, you know, it's kind of this multiplier effect where, yeah. you know, this is the thing that is best for you is what I'm saying. Like it just that you have to, you know, expand your thinking past just this one transaction. And if you expand it, like, yes, maybe it'll take a little bit of pain if I'm, uh, you know, evading taxes or whatever the hell you want to do in the specific thing that makes it more agoristic. And, and, and this is where the, 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 the cost benefit analysis comes in. But you also got to think, what are the long term benefits I get out of this? And, and you can even look at it in a purely uh, individualistic, selfish, whatever manner. And it still comes out working the same way, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Look, all entrepreneurship is disruptive yes. um, in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a very important way. 
um, you know, entrepreneurs aren't, and this is one of the things that Dave, um, we spoke about with Dave, whereas like wage slaves, it, it wage workers are slaves because they have a portion of their proceeds automatically deducted from their earnings, whereas entrepreneurs don't have that. So entrepreneurship is in and of itself. Also, entrepreneurs are, are better positioned to minimize their tax burden, not only for themselves, but also for their employees. So there's all those ways that entrepreneurship is by on, on its on its own is, is more um, consistent with the Nagoras philosophy. But entrepreneurship in black and gray markets, you sort of have a multiplier effect. And and I think that sort of is what you're saying. That's also what Konkin is saying. That's what a lot of us are saying uh, in Nagorism. In yeah, yeah and, uh, but in, to bring up your point again with the, the last bit being the extra little caveat of like to disrupt the state, I do think it is important in a certain sense, but only in the sense of not everyone thinks that way. And once you start thinking that way, you realize that that is redundant. But the idea, initially, people don't recognize the redundancy. So it is important to right. instill that initially. Um all right. With this manifesto, is manual and inspiration is is manual inspiration. New libertarian strategists and tacticians can research, develop, correct, and enact the new libertarian strategy and the tactics appropriate to the conditions met. Much work is needed, but the projects have con consequences no mundane work can provide. An end to politics, to taxation, to conscription, to economic cat catastrophe, to involuntary poverty, and to the mass murder of wa warfare in the final war society against our enemy the state counter economics provides immediate gratification for those who abandon statist restraint uh libertarianism rewards the practitioner who follows it with more self-liberation and personal fulfillment than any alternative yet conceived but only new libertarianism offers reformation of society into a moral working way of life without changing the nature of man utopias may be discarded at last, we have a global society to fit man rather than man to fit some society. What more rewarding challenge could be offered? Uh, I'm going to add to this point. Otherwise, we're almost there. No, but that's that, that's what I've been. That's what we were saying earlier. How it's it's yep. It creates a free society by creating free individuals first. Yes, you know I will say without changing the nature of man is actually kind of important. That was something I think I touched on a little bit earlier where when it comes to just political strategy or practice in general is because a lot of these political strategies, whatever the given thing is, is like, okay, well, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this, and we'll do this. And they're like, and in some of those things, you can kind of recognize, well, like, okay, well, those are a little bit like, uh, I mean, I guess maybe in a way, maybe it's overly simplistic, but it's like changing the nature of man. And especially now, if you're talking about some sort of thing that's going to go multiple generations or be some sort of team effort amongst multiple people, like, sure, like, you can say, like, yeah. okay, but we're doing this to gain this. Right. You're like, but what effect does this have on a larger populace and how they think on the appropriateness of this action, you know? Right. So it's, <laughs> like, it's like, again, going back to what we were saying earlier, like, you're not going to convince, you're not going to change the nature of man. You're not going to convince the majority of voters to become Rothbardian and caps. But you can convince them to act within their own economic interests, right? And that's what we as a course are doing, which is a lot more feasible, I think, to any rational person. Yep. Should you now have chosen the new libertarian path, you may wish to join us in our triple A oath and battle cry or something similar or renew yourself with it regularly. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's a little cheesy. But 
we witness to the efficacy of freedom and exult in the intricate beauty of complex voluntary exchange. We demand the right of every ego to maximize its value within limit, save that of another ego. We proclaim the age of the market unbound, the natural and proper condition for humanity, wealth in, ab in abundance, goals without end or limit, and self-determined meaning for all. Agora. We challenge all who would bind us to show cause. Failing proof of aggression, we shatter our fetters. We bring justice all who have aggressed against any ever. We restore all who have suffered oppression to their rightful condition. And we destroy forever the monster of the ages, the pseudo-legitimized pseudo, pseudo monopoly of coercion from our minds and from our society, the protector of aggressors and thwarter of justice. That is, we smash the state anarchy. We exert our wills to our personal limits, restrained only by consistent morality. We struggle against anti-principles that would sap our wills and combat all who physically challenge us. We rest not nor waste resource against the state uh, until the state is smashed and humanity has reached its agorist home. Burning with unflagging desire for justice now and liberty forever, we win action. Agora, anarchy, action. And yeah, this was written in 1980 by Samuel, Samuel Conkin. And that is the end of NLM. We do have the, the critiques after. I will say that last bit is a little bit cheesy because it, it reminds me of like a Pledge of Allegiance or something. But I, I maybe it is just a matter it was written in 1980. And like I feel like even now, I mean, maybe it's kind of hard to put myself in the frame of a normie. But I'd say even some normies I talk to don't have this. Like even me as a kid, like I remember like this feeling you get from like the pledge or the flag or shit like that. And I feel like to some extent, some of that's been sapped out of even your everyday man. Like there is still a little bit of that reminiscent, but it's just not the same. It's like, almost like, um, like, uh, now I'm, I'm going to think back to like catechism school, but like in CCD, we were taught like the apostles creed or something like that. And it's just sort of a statement of, of, of belief, right? A statement of principles that sort of summarize your ideology, your belief system. I think that's, that's all the, the, that this is here. Um, but the whole Agora anarchy action thing has actually, the triple A oath, that's actually been relatively successful because it's so simple and, and repeatable um, that it's sort of become well known. That's why you have the little A with the, the A cubed, like the anarchy A, uh, with the cubed symbol, that's that that's why we as of course have adopted that because of that 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 um, triple A oath right there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if you have anything on the last little bit, but we're at an hour and a half. We're kind of perfect amount of time. Yeah. Uh, we'll move into the critiques in the next one. The first one is uh, starts right off hard with Rothbard, so that'll be fun. I think yes. if I remember correctly, I'm not gonna look through it right now, but I'm pretty sure there's a few back and forth. So. Uh, that yes. one will probably be that'll probably be a couple parts, two or three parts, just covering that one. Oh, thanks for the two dollar point. I appreciate you always showing up here. Uh, you always have good insights in the live chat. Uh, more episodes about Voltaire Claire. Yeah, dude. If you guys haven't checked out that one, it's already out now. Uh, with Tommy, it's I, mean, I love Tommy, but he's obviously not as big a guest as some of my other Anarchist Handbook uh, episode guests. So um, yeah, like definitely. Go check that one out. He, I mean, while he's not as big of a name, I actually think that was one of my favorite episodes, and it was really good. Voltaire declares a very interesting thinker of her time. Mm, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I may do more Voltaire episodes in the future. I'm definitely more focused on trying to do anarchist handbooks. So if any of you guys know, like, good lefties out there, you know, let me know, because that's been the hardest thing for me to find is good people to cover, like Bakunin, Kropotkin, people like that, because it's like – 
Ben Burgess. Yeah. Yeah. I, but he's not even an anarchist. So, like, it would no, be. No, he's a state socialist. Yeah. Which, I mean, I get it. Like, a lot of people. Yeah, would do like say, Lenin like, or something. Yeah. I know a lot of people would say, like, oh, some of those people aren't even really anarchists. I'm like, okay, sure. Maybe technically, in some sense, depending on how you're, you know, just defining things. But even people like uh, Kropotkin. I, I wish I could get Shu Andre Bakunin. Yeah. I wish I could. Vouch. 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 Yeah. Well, I, don't know. I guess Vouch says he's an anarchist. I don't know enough about him. I'll be honest. I don't know much about him. I've never seen anything that's impressed me by him, which I mean, I guess you can say that by, and it's There's nothing. There's I know it's nothing. so, I guess he maybe he calls I'm, himself a Biden libertarian or some shit like that. <laughs> and, and like, maybe I'm asking, for, maybe I'm asking for too much, but like to some extent, like I'm also kind of trying to get an aesthetic for every one of these episodes. And so like, and I want to have a certain, I want to have a certain vibe with the, the guests I have. Like, I don't want to have someone on that. I hate like, I and not even, you. not, not even that I like hate Vouch, but it's like, I just don't see any like, even though I know we've never met, I don't even see any sort of like instinctual rapport that I feel like I could have with him. There's nothing. I've never heard him say anything interesting. I don't care to hear his insights on anarchist it's theory. Almost like. like okay, it's almost <laughs> like there aren't that many intellectual commies out there. Huh. I know <laughs> it's almost insurmountable. I'm gonna have a hard time trying to get somebody. I don't fucking know. Like, I mean, I'll I'll make it happen one or another. Ideally, out, like, I want. I'm I looking for a literate commie. <laughs> like, and I'm gonna. And, and so for those like out here, it's it's very well known. I'm agorist and cap, whatever you want to call me. Like, but I, I I fully intend when I do those episodes. Uh, the Bakunin one might be the hardest one. Maybe it was Kropotkin. I mix up the two. One of those two is might be actually the hardest one to do. I don't intend on be, like making an argumentation like episode. I'm literally going to try to steal man the best I can and try to find some place where we can kind of meet. And I don't intend on pushing back because the the point of this series is to steal man every one of these ideas, and that's why I'm intentionally trying to find guests who actually have these uh, kind of sort of ascribed to their thought process or whatever, and that way I can accurately represent them to the best i can i mean there is obviously going to be a bias it's gonna be really fucking hard for me to talk to like a a full in full through and through like fucking commie commie and to be like like anarchist commie and be like yeah okay <laughs> like i said good good luck finding one that knows how to use a computer <laughs> you know what I, mean? yeah. I, I think they're out there it'll be a little bit it'll be difficult um Derek Bro, someone did Derek Bros. I don't even know who he would cover. I mean, I'd definitely be open for he's Derek not, Bros. He's not a commie. No, he's, he's not a commie either. Well, the, the thing is, too, a lot of those ones, I, I, I can't remember which one is Bakunin or Kropotkin. Only one of those was really hard for me to read as an as an ANCAP. Like some of those, like like say like Prude Hahn, who's more of a mutualist, his was actually really good. Like his his essay wasn't really didn't really even go into like economic theory or anything. Uh, because so he's it, older. It's because yeah. Pardun is older. Kropotkin is 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 a is a little bit more of a of a real commie. Um, <laughs> the whole yeah, he's got some wacky ideas. But yeah. Bakunin himself was. I thought Malice gave him way too much credit. Bakunin was yeah. a a nut, and in, in, I don't know. I don't remember which one of them. There was only one of them. It was either Kropotkin or Bakunin. I can't remember which one that I. But I was just like. I, I just can't stand this essay. But then, but then uh, the other one, I, like obviously, I brought Prudhan. His was more about like the idea of how like uh, the revolution of the mind or whatever, or like you know the rising of conscious class consciousness or whatever. So there's something to be extracted from that, even as an ANCAP. And then I forget. I wish I could remember which one was Bakunin or Kropotkin. But there's another one where they, they, there was some definitely stuff that yeah, I could pull out of there that I could have some good conversation about and actually agree with. But there was one of those where I was like, man, whenever I get this essay, this one's gonna be fucking hard. Kropotkin <laughs> was at least 
Bakunin was very smart, but Kropotkin was more insightful. Yeah, you know, maybe it was Kropotkin. I don't know. Sense. I wish I could remember which one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, well, I'll get to them all eventually. I don't know. We'll figure out who I get. Uh, Brianna Coyle for Kropotkin. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We're open. I mean, shit, I don't even have you. I mean, I don't know if, uh, I mean, maybe I can show you the ones that are left over because I have other ones besides lefties. I don't know if there's one that like you like agree with. There are definitely a couple more and cat type ones. Uh, I was thinking about getting maybe Michael Humor for the, for the one, uh, because there's one that like basically the whole essay, the point of it is fucking, um, social contract theory which is like the go-to is obviously humor (laughs) so all right well i guess we're at a good spot here we're just kind of shooting the shit now if you want to drop whatever your plugs are uh and uh the next time we'll we'll hit on critiques whenever we get on again the book is anti-politics check it out it's on amazon if you want to pay with crypto you can dm me and um we'll work it out on the side Agora threads for uh agorathreads.com for libertarian agorist apparel um 3d printer go burr for 3d printers and 3d printing supplies without having to access kyc payment platform other than that follow me on social media at sally mayweather or salvia gorist all right and uh this is no way jose you can find me on youtube all the major audio pod catchers uh i'm on odyssey as well at 2020 no way jose is my twitter handle i'm also on getter but i never fucking use it um uh, i'm on facebook as well and uh, me we but really twitter is the only place i use shit uh, if you want to give me money, patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020 like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. As someone's saying, in politics is greater than Erica's handbook. Well, you know what? If you guys uh, agree with that, you know, help me finish my Erica's handbook series so I can finally fucking get on to in politics. And maybe I'll start a series on that. We'll see. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe we'll do all it. Sal. Because the, the whole having to like tailor guests to everyone has been a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that. Like, but but I think it'll make for a good product in the end, especially with the Anarchist Handbook and the the uh, very eclectic group of people in the Anarchist Handbook. So it'll make it good. Uh, yeah. So I'll get to it eventually. I'm probably be the person who's read the most of the Anarchist Handbook of anyone who's bought it by the time I'm done with it. Because every one of these essays, like I'll read it multiple times for each episode. So because I'm, if you guys haven't picked up, I'm not the smartest. So <laughs> so it takes a lot of times for me to be able to like you know keep up with someone who is really uh, well versed on these people so but yeah uh with that i uh i am out and i appreciate everyone who showed up and thanks again sal uh stick around we'll talk about scheduling uh for the next one you got it <laughs>